This is 15 Minutes of Freedom. I'm your host, Ryan Idell, and today I'm going to share some financial insight with you that you're not going to like to hear, that's going to sting today, but long-term should change your perspective on what's possible. First and foremost, good morning. No matter what's going on in the world right now, it is truly good morning because we are alive, we are here, we're breathing, and we're able to spend some time together. And now that I dispense with the niceties of this nonsensical feel-good, it's time for the proverbial kick in the stomach. You see, there was a time that feels like just a flash in the pan ago where I was broke. Not only was I broke, but I was also broken. You see, I had lived this life that was a shell of consistent lies. Imagine those Russian stacking dolls, if you will, where you pull one apart and then there's another one inside and it's smaller and smaller and smaller. And it's 10 or 12 of these little dolls and you never knew it when you opened the first one. That was a story of the lies that I was consistently telling, not only myself, but every person around me. Lies of the wealth that I had. Lies of the position in which I was growing financially. Lies in which I was running from about anabolic steroid use. Lies about infidelity. Lie after lie after lie. It was who I was. And while I had found success in business, not only in my early, mid, and late 20s, in different iterations. Selling cars to start with. Yes, I know, the illustrious used car salesman. Well, whether you like the profession or not, I actually don't care. It served me very well. I was in a small town in Mansfield, Ohio, where the movie Shawshank Redemption was recorded. I was fresh out of college, I had just tried my hand, and I would call it quote-unquote financial advising. When you get right down to it, it was life and health insurance sales, and I was in the process of working on my, my Series 6. But I hated it. I liked it because I got a salary, right? They paid me some pittance of a dollar amount, or maybe $2,500 a month. Barely living wage, but it wasn't meant for that. Hated that job, got offered a job at a, at a Car dealership. The dealership's name, oddly enough, Whitey's Auto Mall in Mansfield, Ohio. Park Avenue West was the road it was on. And I was so excited when I got this job. Said I always loved cars. And I remember my first full year there, right? Seeing how much money I made. And I literally thought I was on top of the world. I can visualize and remember it like it was yesterday. I made just over $46,000. And I'm, I'm King Kong. Right? If you have seen Training Day before, every time I say that, I have this mental image of Denzel Washington right, pounding his chest saying, King Kong ain't got nothing on me. And I'll leave it at that. That's how I felt. Right? I'm 21 at that point and just feel invincible. 
All right, now, number one, Mansfield's about an hour north of Columbus, Ohio. Cost of living is very low, and I'm actually living with my finance manager in his basement. Now, that's my own little place, like showers and all that stuff. Basement sounds very sparse, but right, it was all I needed. And so it was even better, right? I'm stacking up cash. I feel good. I remember heading to a motorcycle dealership and buying a 2007 Yamaha R1. I'm just pumped. Like, I'm on top. And I go through the dealership and end up, you know, doing X, Y, and Z. And eventually, I feel like I hit the glass ceiling. Second year, I'm, I'm pacing for 70-some-odd thousand dollars. You get a wild hair at my rear end. I'm going to come down to Columbus, Ohio. I'm going to interview at luxury car dealerships. I want to I wanna play where the big boys play. You see, Whitey's Auto Mall was Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge. Not even at that point. It was Chrysler, Honda, Ford, Lincoln, Mercury, and used cars. Primarily used cars. And so come down to Columbus, Ohio, and our view at this dealership called Midwestern Auto Group. Had a conversation with a man named Vil Vina. And Vil, right, I submitted an online inquiry to become a salesperson. Drive down there, never been to Columbus before, certainly never been to this part of town. I'm enamored. I walk into what feels like the Taj Mahal of car dealerships. Brand new, right? Factory franchise dealership for Lamborghini, Ferrari, Rolls Royce, Porsche, Audi, Volvo, Jaguar, Land Rover. If you can name something European, high-end and expensive... They're all new car dealerships that were owned by one individual right here in Columbus, Ohio. And Vilvina was a general manager of it all. And I walk in confused like a deer in headlights. Here I am, a young man. Walk in, sit down in his office. Inevitably, I'm nervous. I'm shaky. This is intimidating. I sit across from him at his desk. He asks me a series of questions. And I can't remember how the interview went. What I can remember is him looking up from the resume he had in his hand, glancing at me and said, Ryan, I appreciate you driving down here, but you will absolutely never sell high-end cars. You are just simply not cut out for this. And it was that punch in the stomach I'm referring to that you're about to feel. We're getting there, I promise. Here it is, right? He's, in my mind, he's the man. He has complete autonomy of the dealership. If anybody would know if I could do this, it's him. And so I leave. I hop in my Yukon Denali demo and drive down the road. As I drive down the road, I happen to glance over to the right and I see this Mercedes-Benz dealership that's just kind of tucked in between some trees. Very, very small. Not very showy. And admittedly, I can't say I ever really cared about Mercedes up until that point. And I was actually driving a little too quickly to stop at the dealership. So I drove past the dealership, turned to the left into a Shell gas station, and turned around. See, just a handful of weeks earlier, I had come down to a training in Columbus, Ohio. For automotive sales specialists, as we were referred to. 
with a man in a training called the Joe Verde Training System. Who taught automotive salespeople how to be automotive sales professionals. And because I was, and still am, a natural salesperson, and because I had been shown this for years prior, or at least a year and a half, I dominated this training. Every role play, I was the first one up in front of the room. Every assignment, I was ready to speak it. I had been living this way and learning these things for so long, it was, I felt like I could have just trained the class myself. And it just so happened that two individuals from that training were from the Crown Automotive Group, which I knew nothing about. I just remembered their, their cards, right, the little desk cards, and it said, Crown Mercedes-Benz. One woman's name was Gracie, and her male counterpart was Ronan. And so I'm like, huh? I'm in the area. They were super nice to me the whole time I was there. They were asking me questions over the two-day training. I'm going to stop in and just say hello. I stop in, walk in the front door, don't know anything about the store. I see Ronan walking up to his office, and Gracie comes down to greet me. She goes, Ryan, it's so nice to see you. What are you doing here? And I explained to her the same story I just explained to you. And she says, oh my God, that's, that's incredible. Hold on just a second. And she walks very briskly into the sales manager's office. General sales manager's office. Man by the name of John. She comes out and gets me. She goes, come here, come here, come here. I gotta, I, you got to meet our, our general sales manager, John. Walk in, sit down. Shake, shake John's hand. She said, John, John, before I leave, this is the guy I was telling you about from the Joe Verde train. This is the guy. And she walks out. Laughingly, I have no idea what this is about. One thing leads to another. John says, I've had no turnover at the store in the past 10 years. All the salespeople that are there have been there. And nobody's planning on leaving anytime soon. I don't blame them. Beautiful part of town, Dublin, Ohio, beautiful store, incredible cars. He goes, but, but Ryan, as luck would have it, Ronan, right before you walked in the door, came down and put in his two weeks notice. His wife, a medical sales rep, just got transferred to Chicago. And so if you'd like his position, I'd like to offer it to you. And I'm shocked. I take it. Kind of. Right, I didn't know all the pieces and the parts. I knew I needed a demo. I needed, I needed some. I needed some safety and some some clarity. Cause right here I am. I'm I'm a I'm a big shot in Columbus or in Mansfield. I'll make 60, 70, 80 grand this year. So I'm like, all right, wait. Ville wouldn't hire me. John hired me. But the new store, the best store, is on the other side of town. The new Mercedes store, Jermaine. So I drive over there, interview. Great man by the name of Brian. Sit down with him. Wouldn't you know he offered me a job too? I take it. I take both jobs. I actually tell both of them I'm going to think about it. Go back and forth. Lay the cards on the table. Talk to the used car manager at the store that I was at in Mansfield, that Whitey's Auto Mall store. His name was Dave Steinberger. He says, man, go to Crown. The store's got an incredible reputation. they got a great ownership base. That's where you want to go. That was all I needed here. Took the job at Crown. 
I remember my girlfriend at that point driving me from Mansfield down to Crown to pick up my demo. It's a brand new 2007 Mercedes-Benz C230. Sticker still on the back window, 38425 bucks. That's a sticker I never took off. You see, in the world I came from, the world of Mansfield, Ohio, you didn't get a $38,000 car. You had to be wealthy to drive that type of car. Well, Crown, that was the lowest price new car that we offered, and the model year had just switched over, and so it's kind of like leftover stale inventory. But man, was I excited. I'm going to speed this up for you. I promise it's going somewhere. As the ball would bounce and luck would have it, a few months into my time at Crown, I weasel my way into assistant sales manager. Where, if our finance manager is off, I fill in for finance. If our used car manager is off, I fill in for the used car manager. And if the new car manager is off, I fill in for him. The other three days of the week, I'm a salesman. It's perfect for me because I'm learning everything about all facets of the store. And being really good at sales, being very, very comfortable, and being a new environment where I can thrive with the product that I believe in, my income jumps. Now I'm pacing for $110,000, $120,000 a year. And I keep seeing this bank account balance go up and up and up and up. And so I start looking for a house. I start looking for a house. Here I am, a 24, maybe 25-year-old man. I believe I was 24. And I'm able to write a $30,000 down payment check and not have a bounce for a house. And still have money left over in the bank. Man, this is incredible. Now, admittedly, the house that I bought, the girlfriend I was dating at the time that I'd been with for three years, the same one that drove me down to Columbus to to pick up the demo, yeah, she didn't know I bought a house. I bought that house because I needed a safety net to get away from her because I was too weak in character and too weak in mindset to look her in the eye and say, you're an incredible woman, but I shouldn't be with you. And so I buy this house and nobody knows about And I'm doing work on it quietly that nobody knows about. And as luck eventually has it, it's not luck at all. Somebody wants to rent that house. And so instead of being the man that I should have been and having to sit down tough conversation with the woman I was dating, I allowed somebody else to move in the house. At the same time, I start dating another woman. Another conversation for another day. Just want to make sure you don't hear this all about just the successes that I had. I was morally bankrupt, immaterial of how well I was doing fiscally. So the ball keeps bouncing in the world of Crown Mercedes-Benz, and I eventually take over in the used car manager chair. Now, I'm still filling in for both other managers, and I believe at that point on my card I was given the general sales manager title. But it was pretty gray. Immaterially so, my income keeps raising. Now here I am, 25, potentially 26, making 150, 160, 170,000 dollars a year. 
but for the land I was living in in Dublin, Ohio, with the people that I was seeing was seeing buy these cars, I was a pauper. I had no wealth. I remember going to the jewelry store and buying like buying my first Rolex that I bought. Right, a woman I had dated years ago. Her father actually gave me one a long time ago for Christmas. So it's not the first Rolex I ever had. It's the first one I ever bought. And it's fascinating. I'm thinking this, this watch is going to make me feel more like one of them. More like one of the customers. To make me more relatable. It didn't. I was still just a car sales guy. My ego was telling me something different, but the facts were the facts. And so eventually, I get a call from what I thought was the big leagues. The dealership across the street. It's that dealership that that Vilvina worked at, the one that he sat in front of me and said, you're never going to sell luxury cars. You're never going to do this. You're not cut out for Columbus. The owner of that store courts me for six months. And offers me a tremendous salary to come over and actually sit in Vilvina's seat. And I accept. See, Vil had done some things that Lord knows what or Lord knows how, but immaterially so, he's no longer there anymore. In that same office I was told I would never, ever sell high-end cars in was the office now that had my name on the front door. And so success continued. Of course, during this quote-unquote level of success, I'm even more mentally and morally bankrupt. Instead of just having two girlfriends, now I'm leveraging the third. Three women at the same time. For no reason other than insecurity. Not wanting to be alone, not wanting to face some music, not wanting to have tough conversations. I made it at that store for about a year. Just got burnt out. I was tired of the 12 hour days, six or seven days a week, tired of not having any ownership or equity, tired of not having a plan or a path to make more than 200 grand a year. So I quit. Had some money saved up. In my mind at that point, I had 40, 50,000 bucks. Didn't know what was next. Knew I had a good name in the high-end luxury world, and I could find somewhere. I eventually traveled to Houston, Texas, and get offered a job at Lamborghini of Houston. Traveled to Washington, D.C., and get offered a job inside of a Ferrari Lamborghini store there. Both with incredible compensation packages. Both with a plan and a path to have me be a general manager inside of 10 years. But then I'm offered a strange job. That's a what's referred to as an affiliate manager for a startup web hosting company out of Akron, Ohio. And I travel back and forth and I interview twice and I eventually get offered the job. And as I'm interviewing with the six partners, and they put the job offer in front of me, and I see there's a chance. Remember it clear as day that I could make $45,000 a month or more 
I'd write a big plus next to it. If I did these things that I didn't understand that I would have to do. And I asked, right, is this, can this be changed? Because in the automotive world, if you're unfamiliar, the carrot always gets moved. If you remain consistent, you're very good at your job. Every three to four months, the pay plan is going to get changed to ensure the fact you don't become stagnant. So they're right, right on there, right? We won't change it for a year. Now, I would love to say that I took that job solely based off the money. I would love to say I took that job solely based off the fact if it was a startup company and it was exciting. It was a new frontier. But being honest with you, the reason I took that job at that moment is because I was too much of a chicken shit to move to D.C. or to Houston. So I was going to have to tell three different women that I was leaving and I didn't know who was going to try to follow me. Because I was scared to death. I didn't know what web hosting was. I didn't know what this path was. I knew I could make great money, but I knew nothing else. So I started in late July. Same time, the two majority owners, the two founders... They go on vacation, almost all of August. Here I am commuting back and forth from Columbus to Akron because I can't move because I'm too afraid to have a tough conversation with women that I'm dating. And so I concoct all these stories. Like I said, remember those Russian stacking dolls. But I'm still really, really good at sales. So August, things start to really jump off. In September, it gets crazy. First trip to New York City, first first big group of meeting with people, first big everything. And that first commission paycheck in October was $47,000 for a month. The one in November, throw another 20 grand on top of that. One in December, Throw another five or six grand on top of that. I made more money in three months than I had made in an entire year in the car business. And I was working half as hard. Had I lived in Akron, I would have been working about an hour and a half a day. Of course, nothing exceeds like excess. So I'm buying everything in sight. First big purchase, full-size Range Rover. Second big purchase, a couple brand new watches. Third big purchase, <laughs> new iPad or new new Apple MacBook Air, MacBook Pro, MacBook something. Next big purchase, fancy Louis Vuitton wallet. Next big purchase, Ferragamo bag. Next big purchase, special custom to me luggage. Oh, I want to make sure I say this. All that happened inside of three weeks. I started spending money like water. And of course, end up having feelings for another woman. Yes, yet another. She's in Akron. And I don't remember that point if I still have three in Columbus or two, but I've one in Akron and certainly one or two in Columbus, and it's just, it's ridiculous. Because these women don't know about each other. I become this master manipulator, this master liar, this master deceiving 
I'm switching numbers in between going to houses. I'm doing all these things that are atrocious, but yet I'm doing them consistently. But the money stacks up nice. I'm spending money. And now I'm spending money on the women because I'm buying away my guilt. Maybe you've been there before. I'm buying things. I'm buying jewelry and shoes and helping with down payments or purchasing cars or helping remodel bathrooms or houses or mortgages or <laughs> name something. Of course, I can't take any trips with anybody because then I'd have to figure out how to lie to the other two or whatever it is about where I'm going. My phone's always tucked away because, well, I can't have somebody text me at the wrong time. And life is pretty atrocious, but the money is phenomenal, right? Well, I don't see it in the moment because I'm too ego-driven at this point, but eventually I take over as president and CEO of the business. It's really because I was making too much money with the compensation structure they set in front of me. They said they wouldn't change it for a year. So they had to offer me a partnership position and president and CEO so they could really stop paying me so much. That world continues to spin and money keeps flowing in and life is filled with abundance. And eventually, right, that business goes away, right? We sell it off, we part it off, we do different things with it. And I get the great idea. I'm going to take my brilliance, I'm going to take my money, and I'm going to start a high-risk merchant processing company. If you don't know what merchant processing is, every time you swipe your credit card, somebody makes a couple, couple fractions of a penny off that. Unless, of course, you transact payments digitally, then they actually make pennies, pennies on that. Unless you transact things digitally that have high risk to them, like gambling, maybe pornography. And with high risk comes high reward, and I'm convinced I'm King Midas himself. Everything I touch is going to turn to gold. So I go for the highest risk, highest reward, right? I got some cash sitting around. You're into that business, nothing really works the right way. All the money that I've made up to that point goes away. The rental properties I had accumulated are now all in foreclosure because the tenants that were living in them were paying me checks that I was having to use to float the rest of my lifestyle because I couldn't have anybody knowing I was broke. There's no money coming in from the success of the business because it's all going right back out the other side. Instead of asking for help, I bare my head like it's not going to happen. Next thing you know, I'm eventually calling my girlfriend, who now happens to be my wife, asking her to come get me from downtown Columbus. My nice, shiny, new 2015 F-250 Platinum diesel pickup truck is getting repossessed. From in front of the building. The rental properties that I had are in the midst of foreclosure. She didn't know about. Said I was good at lying. And all the money that I had was gone. Down to somewhere between my last two and three thousand bucks. No car to drive. No way to get the car out of. Out of the repo lot. Just nothing. I'm scratching my head. Not with so much of how did I get here. 
how did I let myself get here? And that day from this day you're listening to this is about six years ago. And for the past six years, I have lived so far behind my means because I would never wish that feeling on another person. Not the feeling of being broke. I actually wish that on you. I'm going to explain why. I don't ever wish you the feeling of having to explain to someone that you love and that you care about that you've lied to them. That you've deceived them about around something so trivial as money. I don't ever want that to have to happen again. So I've lived so dramatically behind what I'm able to do. It doesn't make sense to most people. You see, I still drive multiple year old used cars. I still wear $10 waffle shirts from Old Navy. I still don't fly first class most of the time. I still don't do any of those things. You see, being broke at one point is something I wish upon you because it taught me something. It taught me the most painful lesson that I think anybody needs to know, that you need to know right now. And that is to never overextend yourself for dumb shit you don't really need to impress people you don't actually care about. You see, we're in the midst of a constraint right now economically. Unless something changed from March 21st as I'm recording this to Wednesday when you're listening to it, things are up in the air. And I see left, right, and center people panicking, people nervous, people begging for a, for a bailout, for help, for something. Somebody come save me. And I get it. I was begging internally for that same thing. But when the facts of life are looked at, it's your lack of financial stability It's your lack of financial education. It's your lack of saving that is leading you to the place in which you're begging for help. And that's tough to hear. Because you say, well, that's not true, Ryan. The economy, you see, we can't work. We can't go to work. Or if I'm a small business owner, I can't keep the doors open and I can't, I can't do it. It's not my fault. It is your fault. It's your fault the same way it was my fault that as I didn't see the trend going down inside the business six months earlier, I didn't ask for help or shut the doors then. See, it's your responsibility as a business owner to have no less than two months of liquidity in your business operating bank account. If you don't have that, you don't actually have a business. You have a really expensive liability. And you should be racing for that. And I ask you in this moment, if this applies to you, what do you actually need to operate your business every month and not have anything go topside? What's the actual dollar amount that you need? When I ask that to most business owners that I get the privilege of spending time with to begin with in the consulting side of what I do for a living, they say they don't know. They say they don't know. But yet we wonder now, 
Why as small businesses, the minute we've experienced a week of no revenue, businesses are being forced to potentially go out. As a business owner, if you don't know the numbers, you don't have a business. But the same thing goes for your household. If you don't have two months of liquidity sitting around at all times, stop spending fucking money. Stop. Don't go out to eat. Don't drive around so much. Cancel the Amazon subscription. Cancel the Netflix. Pull back everywhere you can. Because in two months period, in eight or nine weeks total, you can always figure out a new way. Especially when you're clear-headed. Especially when you know you're safe. See, in this moment of temporary insanity that feels like it's happening all around us, when people are looking to me and saying, you seem like you have this path. You seem like you have this confidence and plan. Oh, I do. I do because for the next 10 months, 12 months, 14 months, specifically as I'm recording this, nothing changes in my life for the next 11 and a half months if there's not a dollar more revenue that comes in. Not for the business, not for my family, not for how we live our lives. And that has nothing to do with pounding my chest of being some second coming of Warren Buffett. It has to do with depriving myself of things that I wanted in the moment because I never wanted to feel that way again. Of walking into a jewelry store and wanting a watch because I love watches. Trying it on and looking at it and saying, man, I'm going to put that back. I don't need to spend that money. Of passing four car dealerships and loving cars, but passing four dealerships Every day, every day for the last three years and never considering going in and buying a new car, taking on a payment of wanting to take luxurious vacations to experience different parts of the world in this grandiose manner. Right, Because I, I want to be able to post about it. Right, I want to be able to add validity to who I am in the marketplace. I want people that consider working with me be like, man, he's really making it. I want what he has. Only to not do any of that shit because none of it actually matters. And the people that want to work with me because I post a vacation to Tahiti or to the Bahamas or go spend time with Richard Branson or Russell Brunson The people that want to work with me based off that aren't the people I want to spend time with. See, inside of business, there's a saying that cash is king. In my my world, what I help businesses establish and create is not only is cash king, queen, but it's the entire court. Because you can talk about profit all day long, but profit is hypothetical. And we can talk balance sheets and all the other fancy accounting terms in the world, but if you don't know your cash position and you know your cash burn rate month over month, you don't actually know what you're doing. That's not only true for business owners, that's true for you inside your household as well. And I'm telling it to you from a place of fucking this up before. 
six years ago, calling my wife saying, I don't know what we're going to do. Having to scrape together my own dollars to find a $1,900 car, leaving me with about $600. $600 enough to make sure when the car breaks down, I can kind of fix it and to put a couple tanks of gas in it. Enough to go out and hustle and work my ass off to make enough money to stack up to never feel this way again. You see, I know it doesn't make sense to a lot of people. Here it is. I say I can help coach you get to seven figures. I can help you do this, that, the other. But why don't you live your life that way? Why don't I see you in a fancy car? You don't ever wear the watches, Ryan. What's up with that? Do you even have them? Yes. Yes, I care more about the stability because I know the power of broke now. I know what that feels like. I know what it's like to go without by choice. And not a little bit. Not occasionally. For years. And here you are potentially as a small business owner or as an employee complaining, this isn't fair. Somebody help me. No one's coming to help you. No one's coming to save you. You're 100% responsible for your own life. You always have been, you always will be, and the quicker you get a handle on what true financial success means to you, and you begin living that way, the quicker it is, you don't have to feel the pressure. Don't get me wrong for a moment, I like the dopamine hit of buying something new. You know what else I really like? When the world's burning down around me, I don't even notice. It doesn't matter. Nothing changes. Actually, something does change. I get to emerge on the backside incredibly victorious because there's going to be opportunities now, just as I've been saying to my wife and my close friends for the past three years that were doubting, why was I sitting on cash? I'm sitting on cash because I knew I was going to need it. I knew there were going to be businesses now that I can strategically invest in and apply my brilliance to them and see an exponential increase in return. I knew there was going to be real estate to swallow up because people were over, over leveraged once again. I knew I could do some things that most people couldn't do because I sat on more cash. And the only reason I sat on more cash, the only reason I broke the cycle is because I pushed myself so deep into a hole I had no choice. See, make no mistake, when your house is going to foreclosure and your car gets repossessed and you have a credit card or two you can't pay, your credit goes away. So I would love to say this was some altruistic long-term vision that I knew. I just knew in my soul, guys, that if I, if I went this path, I could share this lesson. That's not true. My credit was toast. The only choice I had to was to pay with cash. And I started thinking very quickly, man, if I can't buy it twice, I don't need to buy it once. So if I can't write a check twice over for it, I'm going to pass. And the minute I started living that way, kind of that late 60s, early 70s mindset before the massive inflation, before the Federal Reserve started cranking out cash, before you could over leverage and overextend everything. When I started living that way, life got easier. When I started having a minimum threshold inside our bank account that every quarter has to increase, I started living a different way.
when I stop giving a damn what somebody thinks about me and the shirt that I wear or the watch on my wrist or the car in the driveway, life started changing for me. So my friend, it's actually my wish for you. It's my hope for you in this moment of economic uncertainty that you're able to experience this power of broke and get resourceful. Because the stuff that you have around your house you don't need anymore, you should, be, you should have sold a long time ago. And the opportunity to get resourceful and make more money with less time is something you should have been focused on years ago. And being able to reclaim your own destiny and not work for a big company that doesn't even give a shit about you is something you should have worked on a long time ago. And you, yes, you, the small business owner, that business owner between two and $50 million a year that is panicked right now, that is nervous about how they're going to succeed through this. You should have called someone like me a long time ago. You should have had a consultant share with you what works. You should have had somebody from the outside come in and get you clear on what you were doing. You should have not gotten so fat you were going to get slaughtered like a hog. But it's not too late. You get the choice. The only shameful thing about asking for help is being too prideful to ask for it. The only reason I know what I know is what I've been through and who I pay to help mentor me to ensure I always have the next tool. There's no shame in that game, my friend. The only shame is not doing it and ending up broke like I was. I'm Ryan Nidell, wishing you truly unlimited success.